0: Are you suffering from back pain? Well, I've got the thing just for you. 15 Surefire Tips for Relieving Back Pain, plus 192 others just in case, Volume 1, available at Amazon.com. Over 30 million Americans are suffering with back pain at this very moment. The vast majority of these cases are either caused or exacerbated by common lifestyle factors. Many of the same factors may be causing you pain right now. Join board-certified physician Andrew Kirshner as he guides you through the parts of your life where these problems occur and gives you simple, safe and effective solutions for these common daily pitfalls. In this fun and informative book you will learn how to identify the aspects of your life which may be causing you pain, how to create a back-friendly environment, how you can improve your pain by improving your sleep, ways to make a pain-free commute, how you can perform daily activities without making your pain worse, and much more. Andrew Kirshner is so well respected in the field of back pain relief. He has you know, famous clients such as DJ Jazzy Jeff. He has done many talks and lectures at universities in the UK. He has appeared on QVC demonstrating back pain relief products, and that is because he is an expert in his field and people trust him also check out the five star reviews on amazon.com this is the book that you need if you suffer from back pain that's 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain plus 192 others just in case volume one available at amazon.com in paperback check the link below the show for more information who does he think he is come around here with his bloody podcast To another episode of pablo's pop and podcast now i just burped i'm hoping you didn't hear it or well you definitely won't smell it which is probably a good thing uh because i've just had sushi and my breath does not smell good but yes welcome to the show it's becoming a bit of a semi-regular podcast at this point and i do apologize because the ken sharp interview was meant to be up last week it's today's episode it's a fun interview um and i know ken has a lot of fans out there who will be excited to listen to it so yes um the reason why this podcast isn't as regular as it should be at the moment is because of Creative Spaces, which I mentioned on the last podcast. Creative Spaces is a project which me and a friend have uh, received Arts Council funding for. It's uh, uh a... Music, um, a community music making project for adults with special needs, and we're we're making uh, waves with it, and we're getting where we need to get with it. Before we, you know, we're still in the the testing period and the planning period before we hopefully apply for a little more funding and um, doing the practice session and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's very exciting put this way because you know, as a musician, someone who does a podcast, all that kind of thing, trying to make money is bloody hard and it's only taken about 15 years to have a potential career choice and something that is very worthwhile you know and rewarding I would do it for free if I could um you know I am a carer for my sister as well so I can come at it from an empathetic point of view as well and uh you know have a lot of experience in the field so I'm very very excited about that and I hope I can update you more with creative spaces as time goes on and I'll be getting Charlie on the show as well because Charlie is an author. He has a book out and uh, we'll be talking about creative spaces and all sorts of, you know, caring issues and all that kind of thing because I think it will, you know, it's something that maybe doesn't get talked about enough on podcasts and... We think that it'll be of interest to a lot of people so yes uh, so that's been going on the other thing that's been going on is I'm going to Philadelphia next month how the hell did that happen I hear you ask thanks to my sponsor Andrew Kirshner I love him love you Andrew and I know you'll be listening to this at some point he has an EP coming out as well and I will be uh, going to Philadelphia I will be playing as part of his EP launch playing some toxic, toxic Melon songs he will be playing the song he wrote for my ep foreplay and uh it's going to be a lot of fun i'm very very excited about it and uh you know uh, it'll also be a chance i've I've got a bit of a catchphrase or oh, well in my mind uh travel light come back with shite you know i'm not going to really pack much and then that means i can buy tons of toys when i'm over there and uh a Bunny that I don't really have, but speaking of Andrew, uh, the 15 shortfire tips for relieving back pain. He is a real sponsor. He's been with me since day one. He is a friend. He's a collaborator. He's a damn good doctor and a professional in his field. And his book is incredible. Do check it out. If you buy the book, it helps keep him running. And in buying the book, he will help keep me running with the podcast as well. And I'm, I'm very lucky to have a sponsor and that enables me to get better guests and you know i I love having a mix of well-known guests i've been very 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 lucky and i will be making an announcement uh with regards to a guest um in a few minutes but i also like to have friends as well and give them hopefully a bit of a platform and uh you know give with artists you know they're always looking for A bit of a leg up somehow you know especially sort of local artists around here and there's not many true platforms that can give artists a leg up and hopefully really legitimately get their music heard by new people so do check out the archives you will hear lots of really cool local music in the northeast of England and worldwide as well. And uh, I'm sure if you are listening to Ken Sharp show, this show, uh, you know, we talk about jellyfish a little bit and there are lots of jellyfish related shows. I've interviewed Tim Smith, I've interviewed Eric Dover, I've interviewed Roger, I've interviewed Chris. Um, I am going to get the full set if it kills me. And yes, that includes Andy. And if you're listening Andy, which I somehow doubt you are, but uh, yes, I I will interview you uh, at some point in my life and then I can retire, I think, but, (laughs) Uh, but, uh, yes speaking of Philadelphia before we get into my interview with Ken um, and I'm gonna be making a really cool guest announcement actually I will do that after the interview see then you've got to listen to the interview you see you can't just skip all this stuff i um, speaking of Philadelphia as well this I'm gonna play you a track from his album his new album beauty in the Backseat," and that is available links below the show um, you know, I could tell you all this stuff, but you've got you've got your hands free, and you've got your eyes free while you listen to a podcast, so you can click on the link and, you know, buy his music, which you should, because it's damn good, uh, so yes Beauty in the Backseat, this is Philly Kind of Night, and then we'll be going straight into my interview with the wonderfully talented Ken Sharp
1: Supersonic soul Baby she don't give a damn About rock and roll She don't give a damn About it But she keeps me up at night Physical attraction Of a chemical
0: podcast this week i have a wonderful power pop musician and new york times best-selling author he has a new album out it's amazing it's called beauty in the backseat i have with me ken
2: sharp hello hey pablo how you doing i'm fine how you great to talk to you
0: yeah it's been it's taken a little time for us to get this together but um i'm very excited to be able to to be able to chat um yeah because obviously i i knew you through uh the Play on Power Pop Heroes uh, series of uh, books, where you kind of um, you you um, what's the word? Not chronological, um, alphabetizing. I guess it's kind of like going to be a thesaurus of every great power pop group ever and act.
2: <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm sure if anyone did these books themselves, there would be some there would be some differences with some of the groups they'd pick. But I hope that that there's more common commonalities than than differences.
0: Well with with the books um cuz being i guess myself i, I would loosely be, uh, sort of describe myself as a power pop musician because of my tastes and because of the people I've been lucky enough to work with. Um what have the what has the feedback been like on the books? I'm guessing kind of you're writing to the right audience i would guess like I can't imagine many people would disagree with what you've written about the bands and um it, i guess it's more is it more factual than you know there's no opinion in yet there it's kind of just
2: no i'm basically I, yeah i I kind of view these books as as kind of oral histories in the words of the musicians so i i i try to um not editorialize and just allow the musicians to tell their stories and talk about the the backstories behind the albums and the songs. I mean, I come from you know I'm a singer songwriter myself, so I'm always interested in getting a, getting as deep as I can in the music itself, and I try to do that with the with these books and, 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 and in in essence try to cr- create them in a way where they're documentaries on paper.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and a lot of the books that you have uh, written and have been involved with, um, I guess, well, the the mainly uh, music-related uh, books, but they're kind of um, largely in the biographical sense, would that be fair to say?
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, I've done books on everyone from John Lennon to The Raspberries to um, – to uh, the Power Pop series of books, mm-hmm. and uh, David Bowie as well. So yeah, they all, they all definitely fall into that realm, and, and I, I really like the format of oral history. So I've, I've utilized that format with my John Lennon book. I utilize that format with the, with the, book, the, the, the books I've done on Kiss and things like that. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fun format. To, do, uh, to delve into.
0: Do, do you find it hard when writing about an artist like John Lennon or Kiss or Elvis, um, you know, because they've had so many books out, do you find it hard to sort of find new information at this point or come at it from a different perspective?
2: Well, that's funny you mentioned Elvis. I mean, that was one of my um, proudest. Uh, I did two books on Elvis, one which was called Writing for the King, which I interviewed it was, uh, it was definitely a different angle that's never been done, and that's what I try to do if I can come a- come across doing something like that. But it's a book about uh, – I interviewed over 140 songwriters that wrote songs that Elvis recorded, and they share the stories behind the songs, and it comes with – It was kind of an official uh, project. It it comes with a a CD of demos by the songwriters, so you see kind of how Elvis transformed the songs or sometimes kept pretty close to the demos. Um, And uh, so that's a really interesting book. And then I did another one on Elvis about his return to the stage called Vegas 69, and that's a book that's never been done it's a period of Elvis's life where he was reengaged with music, and it, it's, this, it's the backstory about his return to Vegas. So just using those examples for Elvis, I really try to uh, – when I do a book, I really try to, to bring something different to it. If, I, if I'm just tracing over the same steps that other people have done, yeah. um, that's not something I'm interested in. I mean with the, with the John Lennon – Yoko Ono book it was a book about the making of double fantasy so no one's done that and um I was really happy to be able to uh to uh pursue that project as well
0: that's awesome so was writing or uh, as in um journalistic writing or or songwriting like what came first with you
2: oh it's 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 always been songwriting it's been playing music and 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 songwriting yeah that came way before uh i was writing for magazine magazines and doing books and that's you know e- e- even though it's 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 extremely difficult to carve out any type of career doing this i still in my heart of hearts view myself as that you know a singer songwriter and uh feel fortunate enough that i can do you know book projects and and write for some magazines to to pay some bills you know it's a struggle though it's a struggle to make it but um I feel really blessed to be able to be doing things that I love.
0: Because so you, because uh, you originally grew up—is it Philadelphia or?
2: Yeah, I grew up. I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia in a place called Fort Washington. I, I played in a bunch of garage bands, and you know, I was, I was, I, I tried to write songs, you know, early on, and and really tried to work at the craft, and it took quite, you know, quite a bit of time where I was able to write something I wasn't completely embarrassed by, <laughs> and it's still, it's still a process of of continuing, you know, I try to work hard, you know, as hard as I can and try to, uh, try to, uh, you know, expand my palate and, and, and don't take anything for granted. And I really hope my goal is that every record I do is as good as the last, if not better. And that's what I'm continuing to try to strive for. Yeah. You know, that it, it's up to the listener to, 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 uh, determine if, if I've done that, but, but I feel I have done it personally you know, um, just judging myself, and uh, you know, I continue just to to want to wanna keep keep writing, you know, as as much as I can and recording, and continue to get better and better.
0: Absolutely. Well, Philadelphia as well has also always had a strong music scene. So, were you initially um, influenced by a lot of the stuff that was going on in Philadelphia?
2: Oh yeah, um, t- totally. You know, and what's interesting is this record probably more than any of other of my records really has a dna of philadelphia in it the philadelphia sound so i'm a huge todd rungren utopia fan and and that influence has always been a part of my my work but i think it's you can definitely hear it much more on this record and um especially uh, i'm a big fan of hall notes since the 70s especially the the 70s era hall notes is for me is brilliant and i love philly soul and and the uh Gamble and Huff, you know, all the all the productions that and, and the great songs they wrote for the uh the Philly International label. So I think all that all that's coming out, you know, singing with the falsetto is certainly influenced by listening to AM radio and hearing great songs by whether it's uh you know, the stylistics or or the spinners or any of that type of stuff and and Hall Notes and, and things like that. And I think You know, I I was thinking about this recently, and I I think that this record is a lot broader in musical scope because I think I'm finally feeling more comfortable just to follow what comes out and not try to write to order. You know, and just say, okay, I have to write these specific power pop songs to fit what I do. And now it's kind of like, well, that's always going to be a part of what I do, but I think a lot more of my my pop soul influence is coming out which i which i'm excited about actually
0: D- did you feel that maybe there was an expectation of what your music should be from sort of the at, at, at the very least the online power pop community because you know I'm a, I'm a part of it and i know that they can be very discerning on what they like and what they don't like and specifically what they class as power pop and what they don't class as power pop
2: yeah, well, I was a little concerned without you know working on the record, but I kind of just had to say you know the most important thing is is at the end of the day, you know when the record's been out for a while, I have to be able to um, stick 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 behind it and be proud of what I've done. And yeah. I think there's enough you know even the songs that veer a bit more into a pop soul realm have enough you know uh, you know I, I love melody more than anything, and I I, I always strive to to create melodies that I think are are enduring and lasting and and things that that are going to really stick in your head and I think all the songs on the record really ha- still have that type of aesthetic so um it's just a broadening of of what I've done but I, but this record is definitely the one more than any of my prior it's my 5th album but be, you know, beyond any of the prior records, this is the one where I think it's a much broader canvas. Do
0: you feel that comes, are you writing? Cause I mean, songs like, uh, the day, the day that David Bowie died, obviously a very personal, um, yeah. subject matter. And, uh, you know, obviously his death and his life meant different things to different people. Um, so do you, is the more, do you feel that lyrically and song, uh subject. Uh you know, the album maybe represents you more, uh, based on your experiences.
2: Um, well I think I think the last record, New Morning, which is a really dark record lyrically, was, was kind of chronicling me going through a really bad breakup and, and being kind of leveled by it. And you know, music was my only uh kind of way to uh exercise, you know, whatever darkness i was feeling so yeah there's you know i'm completely in you know a part of that record but i think this one certainly i just think this one shows off more a broader sense you know there's there's still definitely some darker songs but it's a much more positive much more uplifting record i mean to be honest it's it's probably most like my first album 1301 highland avenue not in terms of the the songwriting but in terms of a positivity you know i think there's a lot more positivity and and i actually was going to end the record with a with kind of a real downer of a song and i thought you know i i, I ended my last record with a song called loser you can't get much you can't get much more <laughs> down than writing about yourself as feeling like you're a loser so this one i chose specifically a song called miracle which really has a really uplifting um type of refrain at the end that kind of finishes the record so i really feel that um I really tried to to uh you know uh, deep dive into that vein of positivity for this record,
0: mm-hmm. did you feel that the last album was almost necessary because you couldn 't get the way you were feeling out of your head, and that almost helped you to move on like in a cathartic sort of sense,
2: yeah, oh totally I mean yeah. you know it was you know i I can put myself in the exact places where I was when I was writing that record, and it was. It's interesting, you know. I work with Fernando Perdomo, who's an absolutely spectacular musician, songwriter, producer, all and an all-around great guy, as you know. And oh, yeah. it was funny. We'll be,
0: t- we'll be talking about Fernando, yeah. Yeah,
2: he, he he came up with the best description of my new morning album. He said it's the feel bad album of the year. <laughs> instead of the, f- but I, I hope this is more of a this this is more of a feel good album. This is the polar opposite.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely, and because um, you you released the song, I Want to Be David Cassidy, that came out first, I mean, when did that come out, like maybe a year ago, it was around obviously the time that he sadly um, passed away,
2: so yeah, it, was yeah, written, he, uh, it was
0: written in response to that.
2: Yeah, and I decided to put it on this record because there were only, I think uh, that was a vinyl-only single, Yeah, and uh, I think there were only about 100 or 150 of those that were made, and I thought... You know, uh, I like the song and I wanted to have an up-tempo song near the end of the record. And I thought that, you know, I shouldn't limit it to that audience of people that have it. I think it's a cool enough tune mm-hmm. and it's a way to pay tribute. And I, I didn't even realize, you know, I'm paying tribute to two Davids on this record, you know, David Bowie and David Cassie. But they both had such a important influence on my life. My first concert ever was David Bowie. I was going to ask Mar-
0: you what your first concert was, yeah.
2: Yeah, David Bowie station is to station Tour, march of 76 oh, and that's so good. And you know, I grew up with the Partridge family and David Casti, you know, kind of wanted to be him like I say in the song because he was so cool, he had a great look, all the chicks loved him, he sang these groovy songs with amazing melodies that I still absolutely adore. And um so I I, I was really devastated after he passed away. I, I actually opened a show for him one of the I think it was the third to last live show he ever did and and Fernando was in the band playing drums and Prescott Niles of the Knack was on bass and my great friend Rob Onfilio who's an amazing artist on his own played played lead guitar and I was just so bummed out and I just thought what can I do you know and then I and, and and then I just started writing about it and and Fernando and I um I spoke to Fernando about it and he was on board and I said let's cut this and we cut, it, we cut it so quickly, and, and, and I did some recording at Rob's too, that, that, and we got a great response from Rodney Bingenheimer's radio show that it was literally mixed on a Saturday, and on Sunday it was on national radio. So that was a pretty quick turnaround.
0: That is amazing. So um, obviously we'll, we'll talk a lot more about your working relationship with Fernando. So your first album, um, when was that released? Were you still in Philadelphia at the time?
2: Yeah, I was still in Philadelphia. That was released, I think, in ninety four, ninety five, on a label called M and M. And ironically, that was, you know, I got a pretty good advance money wise to do that record, <laughs> and it's gone down ever since
0: <laughs> to
2: non-existent.
0: So, what, what um, was the maybe a bit more of a? Um a pressure to sound a bit more like what was happening in the top 40 at that point.
2: No, not really. It was just, it was, I was just so excited at the chance to, to just release an album that I was over the moon about doing it. And, you know, life at that time was, was, um, certainly a lot less challenging and there was a lot more sunlight, you know, in terms of your life, in terms of having a lot less worries. And I think it's reflected in kind of this (laughs) bubblegum, bubblegummy type of sound that that record resonates, you know, or, or the echoes of that sound in there. So yeah, it it wasn't a reflection of doing what was, what was popular at the time. It was just, it was just reveling in the, in, in, in the amazing fortune that I had this opportunity to, uh, to uh to, to do my own record and it was it was so cool it came out in Japan only it had one of those obi stickers nice. which is okay. would, not you know not stickers but the little thing that wraps around it yeah. and um, yeah it goes for pretty it goes for pretty decent money on the secondary market if people are looking for it but yeah i'm uh, i'm proud of it but you know i'm also kind of embarrassed about it because it's a really early snapshot you know <laughs> um and i think i've gotten a lot better but but there are people that really love that record, and 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 what I do like about it is that there's an innocence to that record that that I don't think you can ever go there again. D- did you make
0: music videos for that album?
2: No, yeah. no, no. The the first music video I've ever done is is uh, Lemons to Lemonade from this record.
0: That's my favorite song off the album. Um, nice, it's I one did, of my favorites. I do yeah. know that. So, did you get to play in Japan?
2: No, I wish. Be, i was in Japan once but no I never got to play and I you know I get some orders from people in Japan and I have a couple really nice people um there's a guy named I think it's Dasuki, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Dasuki kambu um I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce his his name properly but he had a he had a label i think called wizard and vinyl or something like that and he 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 tracked me down and was a real a, a real big fan since my first record so there are people that dig Dig that, uh, dig that stuff. But yeah, I would love to play shows in Japan if there was enough interest beyond ten people wanting to see me. <laughs> well,
0: when social media came around, because I'd imagine you had like a MySpace music page and I that, did all yes. that kind of thing. So did um, I did. Were there people who were trying to find you for a long time, and then, because you know, I, again, from my point of view, the fact that you can just message Eric Dover or Roger Manning and stuff like that—that it's that so easily accessible—did you have like people who were like, you know, they couldn't believe that you were just there and able to chat to you?
2: Well, it was you know back. This was the pre-internet days, so you know there there wasn't that there wasn't that ease or or, or, or easeability in terms of. Being able to connect with people, it's a lot easier now to, to kind of create this network. Yeah. Uh, although you still really have to work at it, but but um, when I was doing the first, certainly the first album and the second album, which was Happy Accidents, you know, the internet was around at that point, but it was still kind of uh, a burgeoning you know form. So and and I think it was my third record, which was called Sonic Crayons, that I got a MySpace page.
0: Ah, okay, so at, yeah. at, at that point, I mean, what were the immediate changes, like, did you, did it improve album sales, because you, you were, again, easily accessible, did you sell them yourself, or through a label, or?
2: Well, the second album, uh, Happy Accidents, came out through Bruce Brodine's label, not Lane.
0: Ah, I've interviewed Bruce, he's so awesome.
2: Yeah, he's a great guy, and um, such a, such a, a, a you know, such a class act, and and one of the emissaries of power pop, you know, mm-hmm. since since it really, you know, became something that everyone connected with, you know, online and things like that or even pre-online. But yeah, so and then my my the the last few records I put out myself, um uh Sonic Crayons, uh uh New Morning and Beauty in the Backseat. So, Beauty uh, in the backseat, yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, how did you Uh, connect with um, Bruce and I'm guessing you uh, probably connected with David Bash around that time as well. Like was it as soon as you moved to LA and also what made you move to LA?
2: Yeah, well, I knew, um, I knew both David, who's a great guy and, um, and Bruce. And I think it was through the initial connection was through my, my first book I ever did, which was overnight sensation. The story of the raspberries, this big, big, massive scrapbook spotlighting my favorite my my ultimate power pop band so um and and I remember coming out once to uh uh, LA to visit and I stayed at David's it was real nice to put me up and we went down to visit Emmett Rhodes and Hawthorne which was amazing um and Bruce I became uh friendly with uh I think through um I think through that book and he was doing catalogs and putting out some releases and then um I sent him some music that I was recording and he really liked it and then he put out my 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 record with that, but yeah, I, I worked back in Philly for quite a long time for a company that did syndicated radio music music shows. So I interviewed, you know, every you know members of the Beatles and the Who and the Stones and really just some amazing things. But that job ended after after a pretty long tenure, and I kind of just I I always liked LA. I didn't want to go to New York. New York is great for a day, but it really tires me out. Um, yeah. And it's it's extremely expensive, and LA is expensive too. But uh, but you know the weather's better normally. <laughs> so yeah, I moved I, I moved out here in two thousand and one.
0: Cool. So wh- one thing you said about Emmett, uh, when did you uh, meet Emmett at the time? Because I've interviewed Chris Price, and he gave me the full story on how their um, their friendship and collaborations come together. So because I, I just got the impression that Emmett was just a complete like a total recluse and just wasn't meeting anyone or was he still active to some degree at that point
2: yeah well i mean he was doing some things i think i first met him out here when i i tracked him down and did an interview with him uh and this is when he was living near i think off of melrose avenue and in, in, in hollywood um and interviewed him then and then he uh I think he got divorced and he moved back to Hawthorne. In fact, he lives in the house across from his parents' house. where in that garage he recorded, you know, his 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 acclaimed records and I've always been such a huge fan of Emmett. Yeah. Um so we went to uh when I was out here, um I contacted Emmett and we went down David Bash and I went down and we visited him and and that was a a real great great experience. But yeah, moving to LA was just kind of a matter of I've been out here a few times to visit and always really liked it. And um I took the chance to move out here and I worked for a few years on and off at, at VH1 and worked at A and E doing some documentaries and things like that. Uh and uh and you know and and actually had stopped doing music after Sonic Crayons, I kind of was feeling that you know, what's the point? You know, it's like there's not a ton of people that are buying these records, you know, in, in the great scheme of things. So I kind of stopped writing, writing songs, which really surprised me because it was such an obsession of mine, you know, um, and and, you know, for a, at least a couple years there, I just kind of was resigned to just working for a living and just, you know, trying to find some enjoyment with that <laughs> you know but but what happened was was and i have justin fielding to thank who's working that on name. that yeah working on that great power pop documentaries he was after me to interview me for that documentary and to be honest i'm pretty pretty shy about doing stuff like that i mean you may notice my last few albums don't even have photos of myself <laughs> on <it. laughs> um but um so he 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 kind of was was uh was uh, extremely persistent, and I finally said, okay, I'll do the interview, and then uh, it was set up at a studio in Reseda, and which was owned by a guy named Fernando, and we did it early. We did it, I think, at eight in the morning, and that's when I first met Fernando, and I remember walking in the studio and looking on the walls, and right away, I saw, you know, I'm a huge Hall Notes fan, I think I saw Along the Red Ledge, which is a great album of theirs from, I think, 78, and then I saw another Holy Grail album of mine in the middle of the wall, which was Utopia's self-titled 1982 album. And then there was a lot other really cool stuff up on the wall. And he had all these great instruments, guitars, basses, keyboards, electric guitar. And he was a real nice guy. And we spent an hour or two uh, doing the interview. And he, you know, he sat while we were doing the interview. And then I just said, you know, I, I think I, I asked him about his rates and then I went home and um, went through some songs I had, because I hadn't, you know, really like I said, kind of stopped writing. But I went through a song I really liked of mine that was kind of hitting home called The Worst. Mm-hmm. And that's the first, and that's on New Morning, and it's the first song I recorded with Fernando. And, the, you know, the recording was a real joyous process, and Fernando is such a an inspiration. He works very quickly. I like to work quickly, and we really hit it off. And while I'm doing it, and and when it was done, I was really proud of it. And I said, well, maybe I've been thinking about this whole thing wrong. You know, maybe, you know, it, it's really about your if the reward is doing it and that's, you know, it really it filled me up spirit wise, emotionally, because yeah. I was going through a pretty, pretty difficult time at the time I cut that first song and continued to go through a difficult time. And it was it was that realization is that's really what I am and whether a hundred thousand people buy it, or two hundred people buy it, you know at the end of the day that's that's who I am, and that's 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 my art that's that's the closest you'll get to me, you know to who I am. you know the writing is one thing i'm you know i'm I'm basically shining the spotlight on other people and i you know I love to do that and chronicle and champion other people, but the music is the closest to who I am and to my heart, so that was a really incredibly profound realization, personal realization of mine. And, you know, I have Justin Fielding to thank for for, you know, setting up that interview. I wouldn't have met Fernando. And it was just, you know, I thanked him quite a few times since. (laughs) And he's a he's a real mensch. But, yeah, meeting Fernando was 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 one of the biggest gifts of my life. Um, And we've we've gone on to record many, many songs. I have I have a lot more songs already cut. Um, And, you know, we continue to cut when I can when I can um, raise the money to do to do that, because there's nothing I love more than than writing and recording a song, especially if it turns out well. So I definitely have enough for at least a few albums if I didn't do any recording now to put out. But, you know, it's a good it's a good thing to have so I can pick and choose things that kind of fit within a concept or just kind of within a flow of music.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I totally understand, and you know, I, uh, Fernando is one of the greatest people that I've been lucky enough to uh, come into contact with as well. Especially living in you know Newcastle in the UK, it's not exactly you know next door sort of thing. And um,
2: I, yeah, I, I I always say Pablo. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to interrupt no, you, no, but no. I, and I and this I don't think this embarrasses him, but I, I tell this to everyone, and and I mean it, Fernando Perdomo is the greatest all-around musician I've ever encountered. I mean, he is, he is, you know, Hollywood Bowl level, Yeah. you know, guitar player, bass player. He's a great organ player, especially, and drummer. And obviously he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a great songwriter and extremely versatile too. So he's amazing. I mean, and I also work a lot with Rob Bonfilio, who's also one of the most talented people out there. He's, an incredible songwriter, amazing producer, great singer, plays a ton of instruments so I'm so blessed that the the creative team that surrounds me it's normally just Fernando and i but but there's songs that you know I'm fortunate enough to have Rob uh take part in, and he is absolutely magic. I don't know if you've heard his new record um it's 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 spectacular
0: I must check it that I haven't listened to it um but yeah no give me a link if you don't mind on um after the show and I'll, uh I'll certainly share it as well um but uh, sure. with um fernando i've you know i've been lucky enough to see him work in person and he is just so brimming with ideas and like you say he does work fast but he has the ability to work fast but also experiment and try a lot of different things within that time as well I mean certainly within the time that I sat with him for a day um, do, do you find with the addition of Fernando that your uh, the arrangements of your albums are becoming a lot more textured and um, more um, I don't know what's the word maybe mature and you know suit the songs maybe a little better like would you would you go back to like your previous albums and have Fernando you know kind of lay his uh talents on them
2: i don't know if i would go back to anything although you know occasionally i have an idea of there's a song on my my first album called not afraid of love that i've since written a bridge through the years and it's a a soul song that it would kind of be interesting to have a little bit of a different angle but when i go you know fernando works so quick when i go into the studio i always like to go in with a roadmap of what what i'm hoping to do i try to uh to uh you know i I bring a piece of paper and i'll write you know verse chorus bridge whatever intro and i write the different instruments that i'm i'm hearing in my head Mm -hmm. and you know we don't always stick with that and there's a lot of experimentation but i really try to bring in a clear idea and fernando you know he wants to work quickly like literally i could lay down a guitar part and then he's like what's next you know and you really have to be you know he 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 wants to keep moving, you know, so it's, it's always a challenge to keep up. And so I always really want to come in prepared. It's never a situation of me sitting there and saying, Fernando, tell me what, tell me what to do with everything. You know, it's. It's it's to be honest, it's the opposite of that, and 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 I'm appreciative that he that that because I know he works with some people, and it's kind of the opposite where he kind of takes the rain, you know, the reins and things like that. And everyone has their own way to work, but I I, I always have a pretty strong idea of kind of what I want to do. But he um he comes up with amazing suggestions. He he's turned songs around with with different ideas. I think there was a song. It's not on um this record, but it was a song that I wrote called Out in the Light that kind of had a little bit of a kind of a country pop type of feel. Mm -hmm. And the way I was playing it, he's like, well, you you know, he was initially playing it very lightly. And I was like, no, I don't know if that's right. And then he kind of changed it up. He knows how much I love The Who and kind of changed it up with that. And that, you know, with kind of a Who feel drum wise, Keith Moon's my favorite drummer. And um, and then the song really took on. A much different color, and actually a much cooler color with that. So yeah, he's he's a blessing to have in the studio. You know, after every session, I, you know, I, I'm the king of tweaks with him, though. You know, <laughs> I, I definitely run him through the paces, unfortunately. But but um, but I think he does like the fact that at least I'm not wishy washy, and I kind of know what I like, and 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 I'm not constantly changing my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a million times over different things. But, but yeah, what what an absolute joy and pleasure. And, and uh, such such a great friend, too. You know, he, he's, he's an all-around blessing for me.
0: Absolutely. And if Fernando is listening, yeah, we love you, but we're not going to talk about you anymore because we don't want you to get too much of a big head. So. Um.
2: Oh, he puts <laughs> out more than enough records. He's, <laughs> he's the king of his own promotion. He's great at that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I mean, um, do you uh, find a, a level of um, satisfaction being able to have full control of your releases now?
2: Yeah, I mean, what w- w- what I don't like to do is is a lot of the self promotion. I don't mean doing an interview or things like that because I, I don't mind that because it's about my music, but yeah. um, but but the self promotion that you kind of have to do because most of most of the artists you know like me, don't really have the money to hire a publicist to do it that that's something where I really wish that I did have the resources to bring someone on so that realm could be taken care of by someone, and I can just kind of concentrate on the music but but yeah i do I do really like having complete control. I think the whole paradigm of the music industry has changed so much, where the power is now reverting back to the artist in most cases unless they're they're stuck with some crazy contract with a record company where they're under their lock and key to mm. to uh, abide by their wishes.
0: But uh, since uh, oh, drop, uh, dropped a thing, <laughs> um, OK, since um, especially with uh, social media, uh, I, like I find that the the online pop pop community is incredibly hardcore you know i can't speak for other communities but i i know that everyone seems to be really supportive of each other which is really nice and uh the amount of uh you know reviewers and uh journalists and all that kind of thing you know uh, really helps personally with my stuff like do you did you find that there was more of that scene than you thought there was uh when you ended up moving to l.a
2: um that's a t- that's an interesting question i'm not i'm not that sure i i, I always hoped it was bigger to mm-hmm. be honest i i feel it's a lot smaller i've got, a, than I've got I, a,
0: my thing with l a is like i before i went out there and obviously i you know i'm lucky enough to know a lot of uh, the pop you know the names in l a who uh, perform power pop i just kind of did think that l a was just nothing but just chilled out sit in the sun, listen to Power Pop and nothing else sort of thing. And, you know, I I totally get where you're coming from with it's not as big as I thought sort of thing.
2: Yeah, you know, it's not really something that you can really sustain yourself with you know what i mean i think it it, it's you know it's a difficult thing in la because most of it's pay for play unless you're really established and that's that adds an extra layer of pressure that if you don't sell a certain amount of tickets you have to have to pay clubs hundreds and hundreds of dollars just for the opportunity to play and that and that gets old after a while too because you know you just you you don't want to lose money (laughs) playing, you know what I mean? And you don't want to lose, you know, when money is difficult to earn anyhow. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I I wish the power pop community worldwide was a lot bigger than it is, to be honest. Um, I think it's a lot smaller than I, than I, than I imagined. Um, But it's a, you know, it's a great community of people and it's, it's kind of surprising that music, that kind of apes the best music that 's ever come out, whether it 's the Beatles or the Who or the Birds or the Hollies or the sm- Small Faces or Raspberries or Badfinger or Big Star or any of these bands. Mm. you know you would think the music that you would think that type of music would be something more wholly embraced but it, but it 's not. You know, it, which is kind of sad.
0: It kind of has its moments in UK. It trends, does. I've noticed, so, you know, the, I mean, there were bands, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with bands like The Feeling and McFly, who covered the Jellyfish song and took it to number one. Um, you know, the, yes. the, there are uh, bits and pieces here and there. And, and like from what, what I saw, it was uh, the early 2000s was kind of the last kind of uh, peak for Power Pop in the charts with like Fountains of Wayne and um uh, Weezer and stuff like that. And you know, um but yeah it does seem to have kind of fallen the way. But you never know when it when anything could come back really, I guess.
2: Yeah, and there's certainly pockets, you know, of 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 success that happens, whether you know it's Fountains of Wayne, you know, with Stacy's mom or, you know, things like that where where, you know, even Raspberry's getting into that Guardian of uh, the galaxy and go all the way kind of being rediscovered by a whole new generation or, or uh, baby blue being played on, you know, the the final episode of uh, breaking bad. So it's great, you know, it, it's great for, for people to recognize the greatness, you know, but, but, you know, there's a band that we both worship, which is Deli fish and you look <laughs> at that band and, you know, they had such a small body of work, sadly, but, but, but both albums resonate so 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 loudly, you know, in terms of 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 the the, the, the you know the, the the sound that continues to uh, inspire people. Yeah. Um You know, but but you feel I, I feel I feel the same way about the raspberries. It's like they thank God at least they had some hits, but but never on the on the level besides go all the way where they des- they deserved it. So anytime bands like that can get those belated props. I think the first platinum record the raspberries ever received was for guardians, you know, guardians of the galaxy. That first film, that soundtrack. Mm. I think the only gold record they ever got was the gold record, uh, 45 for go all the way. So, so, um, to make a long story, a little longer, (laughs) it's just, it, 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 it makes me feel great when out of the blue, there's, there's belated, praise or success that just kind of happens, but it doesn't happen enough to my liking for for so many great artists.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I think I got into well, I got into Jellyfish around 2007, and uh, my friend at the time he he bought Roger's first album, uh, Land of Pure Imagination, and he bought the Leo album uh, only because Andy Sturmer sings two lines on Goodbye Innocence. That's the only reason, and I thought he was insane for doing that because he had to. Uh, get it in on import so it was like 25 pounds or something like that which i just thought was crazy and then um the the track uh wish it would rain of uh, roger's album was the the thing that th- there are very few sort of life altering moments and that was one of them for me and i always said that one of the best gifts that jellyfish has given me is that they introduced me to so many other bands like Bad Finger and, um, you know, I really started to dig into yellow and, you know, the move and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just rambling now.
2: Cause I'm, <laughs> you no, joking. that's but, you Ramble, ramble on as a famous band. Uh, once said.
0: But, um, so yeah, come on, let's, let's talk jellyfish. Um, <laughs> cause I, I, what I've realized as well with this podcast is that some of the best, uh, performing shows are the ones that include a lot of jellyfish talk as well, so I should probably include jellyfish on every show, and then you know.
2: <laughs> that's fine with me. Um.
0: Yeah. No, so. Um. Around two thousand and seven, though, when I when I discovered jellyfish, that's when McFly released "Baby's Coming Back," um, and they were kind of forced to do so because they had a song called "Transylvania," which was a little bit too quirky for the charts uh the record company kind of uh you know decided so they were like right you have to do a double a side just do a cover and tom the uh the main writer in mcfly he was a huge he's a huge jellyfish fan so the baby's coming back and it got to number one i spoke to chloe andy's daughter and um i asked her about it and she was like Andy went up to her and was like, I'm number one in the UK, like really excited. And she was like maybe 12 at the time. She did not care. <laughs> like, you know, she didn't understand Aww. what being number one in the UK really meant. But um, it, but it was around that time that um, the Jellyfish Tribute album came out and, uh, you know, things were kind of slowly starting to pick back up again because before that, I mean, I, I don't really know. That sort of 94 to 2007, apart from the fan club box set, there probably wasn't really much else going on. You've, you'll you have a far better viewpoint of this.
2: Well, I, I feel really fortunate. I, I didn't see the band enough. Mm-hmm. I only saw the Jellyfish twice, but I got to see each lineup um, <laughs> once. The first time I saw them... Uh, was in Philadelphia – well, both times was in Philadelphia, which is where I'm from, was at the Tower Theater, and they were opening for the Go-Go's. And what was pretty amazing was um, I interviewed the band before the show um, in the late afternoon, I remember, and I really hit it off with the guys, especially Andy. We were talking all about cartoon shows that we loved and all that type of stuff um, and the bubblegum music that we loved. And then I remember watching the sound check which is really cool. So actually, I could say I saw Jellyfish three times, really. Yeah. Uh, I'll consider that a concert, too. And then um, during the show, they shocked me. They they introduced uh, Sugar and Spice by the Archies, and they dedicated the song to me, which is amazing. I, I I wish there was a tape out there of that show. Probably no one believes me, but it was true. And um, so they, they were amazing um, uh, at that show, and the Go-Go's were really good, too. And then... I think a year or two later, they came back for Spilt Milk, which is my favorite jellyfish record. And, and they did a headlining show in Philly at a place called the Trocadero. And I just remember my biggest memory of that show was looking over at my friend Jay, who I went with and saying, how can those those harmonies can't be live? That has to be tape." But turns out it was they were real and they were so good. So I'm going to reveal to you my favorite jellyfish lineup and and, and album and it's probably going to be a a little less of a popular decision or maybe not but i prefer the the second lineup i prefer the i i i I love jason i think jason's brilliant and, and obviously and chris chris is fantastic but i think the spilt milk album for me is miles ahead of belly button which is brilliant as well it's just Absolutely, one of the greatest greatest records that I've ever heard. You know, the assimilation of all the influences of things I love, and then putting their own stamp on it. But I really loved that lineup. I really thought the the the, the spilled milk lineup was special. And you know, maybe it's because I prefer that album, um, and 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 I enjoyed that show much more. And it was also a full show too. Um, but. uh but yeah i i i i lean towards spilt milk and i know there's a lot of people that do but there's probably perhaps even more people that don't and they they like the the debut album
0: well i know that like most people i guess would kind of definitely prefer the first lineup because they were more visual and involved in the music videos and the artwork because obviously Eric uh, didn't join until uh, until the tour but I do agree that I think the the second lineup was certainly more polished I would say and the thing that for me shows that they were more polished in terms of uh, especially in terms of their harmonies were the acoustic sets that they would do before gigs um yeah. the, the stuff that's shown up on like Radio Jellyfish and the Fan Club box set, like those performances of Fan Club and That Is Why and Ghost in Number One are just flawless. And I've got friend, a lot of friends who prefer those acoustic versions to the uh to the full band versions. Um It Yeah,
2: they're they're great.
0: Yeah, yeah, sorry. I don't want to like I say just go on too much, but one thing I'm kind of intrigued by, uh you've been at the sound check for the uh the first lineup. How meticulous was that sound check or was it just very quick or
2: I don't remember it being too meticulous and and you know w- what I do have to say is my god in terms of a visual presentation and in terms of them looking like they came off the set of the Banana Splits <laughs> or yeah. HR Puff and stuff. I mean, visually it was astonishing and they were, they were astonishing. And I remember the bubble machine and, and all that stuff. So in terms of visuals, you know, that was spectacular, but it it was a different thing for spilt milk. But yeah, I remember, and I I remember even sitting after the sound check with Jason, I think watching a little bit of the go-go sound check, but I think they were pretty meticulous, but, but I think they, they had already put in the, the hard work prior. And, you know, if you read Craig Dorfman's, um, fantastic jellyfish book there's a lot more details about about how hard these guys rehearsed for months and months and months so you know eight hours a day where they they pretty much they pretty much could you know do the stuff very very effortlessly because it was so part of their muscular memory
0: absolutely i I've, i do feel very lucky that for that sort of 2000 and maybe 13 to 2000 and Fifteen or sixteen uh omnivore with all of their releases and everything really uh made things very exciting as a jellyfish fan new releases and you know uh, band involvement as well the fact that Andy uh included liner notes in uh the special edition of the albums and
2: um yeah. well yeah and, and and I actually did you know i'm extremely proud. I was extremely proud and honored to be asked, and I just hope I hope I I could live up to the greatness of those albums. But yeah, I, I was I did the liner notes for the deluxe editions of Belly Button and Spilled Milk, so I got to, I got to inter you know every I interviewed everybody. Yeah. Um, did you interview you know. Andy
0: in person? That's what we all want to know.
2: Uh, well, the, no, the only time I have ever interviewed Andy in person was was back in uh, in the early '90s. <laughs> uh, for for that show. But, you know, I, I've, I, I've done some interviews over the phone. Uh, but no, and... I, I actually, since I moved to L.A., I think Andy might live oh, maybe only 10 minutes from me, but I've never seen him and I've never run into him. But I would love to. But uh, he was extremely, extremely, you know, helpful and articulate, as are all the guys in Absolutely. the band. And my final version of the Play On Power Pop book series, Volume 5, Jellyfish will be on the cover, and Andy wrote the foreword for the book.
0: Wonderful! Ah, see, yeah. Um, I'm very excited about that, and and, and honoured that I could help out a little bit as well. Um,
2: Absolutely, thank you again so much.
0: And it's it's kind of weird. I kind of I, <laughs> I'm kind of the person that people are like, oh, they, they played a gig in Leeds. Do you have that ticket? And I'm like, um, yes, I kind of do. Um, <laughs> which is kind of like it's it's kind of nice to be the person that's asked. But also, I think probably I should go outside a little bit more instead of having like twenty-eight copies of Belly Button and stuff like that, you know. But
2: yeah, I agree. <laughs> no, I agree. But but it's great that you're, you know, that you're so respected and kind of the go-to person in terms of that for the band.
0: It's nice, and I want to give a shout out to John Soda James as well because I think between us, we probably have most things. But um, I, I said this to Chris Manning when uh, Roger. Uh, did the the pledge music for his uh, latest EP uh, when he was selling off outfits from his music video for like thousands of dollars and people were buying them. I was like, okay, that's the line. I can't have every costume that he ever wore. One, I don't have the money. Two, I don't have the room. And three, I wouldn't fit into them anyway. So um, I kind of had to draw them. But I, I don't know who bought them. That's the thing. No one's come forward. If anyone was, oh. was it you?
2: <laughs> no, okay. no not me. Not me.
0: <laughs> what would be weird is like if Andy bought them. That would be that would be a little weird. But um I, I kind of talked to um uh, when I was talking to Chloe, I don't know if you know this, but the kind of Andy general obsession with Andy amongst jellyfish fans is a little kind of crazy cuz if you go on Google and you type in Andy Sturmer it'll come up Andy Sturmer 2018 2017 2016 because people are trying to just find a picture of him and just see what you know it's kind of a weird thing to see what someone looks like now they're just going to be a little bit older i guess you know, but i think it's That's more i think it's more to know that he's in good health and you know is doing well and um i think we can both confirm from you know chatting to him and chatting to family members that Andy is doing well
2: Yes, yes, yeah. That that's good to hear.
0: Mm. But we should get back onto your music because uh, we filled the jellyfish quota. We'll talk a lot more about jellyfish at another time. But um, yes, uh, your album "Beauty in the Backseat." Um, it's a superb album. Where can people find it?
2: Um, well, they can go to uh, that. You know, they can go to the regular places, iTunes or Amazon or Bandcamp. But uh, the only place they can actually get a cd and it's a really cool package is through me um, and they would go to www.ken-sharp.com and you, you 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 can click on the cover of the album and then that'll give you all the all the ordering information
0: that's cool. And and I will uh, put links below the show as well where people can uh find out more information on you and there will be tracks played on the show with your permission of course. I don't want to just, you know. Um, sure. <laughs> it's kind of nice being well connected musically that I can have this awesome music to play on the uh on the podcast which I really appreciate. Um
2: but Ken Well, I'm really I'm appreciative of you. Thank you so much for su- you know supporting me.
0: Oh not at all um i just thank you for your patience because it's taken a little while to get this together and i'm still it's g- fun yeah i'm, go- I'm gonna I, well that's the thing you as a as a professional interviewer um how was this interview was it okay
2: <laughs> you were you were excellent it's so great not to be the one asking the questions for <laughs> for, for, for once okay i'm more comfortable though on, I'm i'm more comfortable being in your shoes though ironically you know um I I I I you know, I, I feel like I'm a humble person but, you know, it's kinda of what you need to do. You know, if you believe in your music, you kinda of have to do whatever you have to do to get it out there. So even though I'm not a big fan of the self promotion aspect, if I don't do it it's not gonna be done, so I kinda of have to do it. But no, it was such a pleasure speaking with you. You did great.
0: Well, I enjoyed doing this podcast as well. And I mean a part of the reason I wanted to do it was I mean it was slight it was partly selfish so that I could just chat to people who i admire or my heroes and i've been very very lucky with the podcast but one thing that i've had to do is one be a little more confident in my um would it be oratory skills i guess that would be the word um you're a writer you can correct me um if it's not the right word oratory i think that's right Uh
2: <laughs> Whatever you say is, okay. is fine with me.
0: Well, in terms of communication, uh, but at the same time, I, I have a strong Newcastle accent, so I've had to tone that down a bit so that Americans can even remotely understand what I'm saying, which I've, uh, you know, which uh, you, you've either understood what I've said or you've done a very good job at guessing. Um, <laughs> but either way. Um,
2: I completely understood.
0: <laughs> so yes, uh, thank you, thank you, Ken, for coming on the show. And I'm going to hold you to uh, this part two of the other subject that we kind of started talking in depth about um, yesterday, which for those who, I, I don't know if this will appeal to the same people, um, but we're certainly going to talk about the other aspect of your past, um, <laughs> it's, it's nothing, it's nothing illegal. It's nothing, you know,
2: <laughs> I wasn't behind bars,
0: you weren't behind bars, but it was an an interest that we both share. And, um, I had a lot of fun talking, uh, talking with you about that yesterday, but, um, I would love to do that because it, it will be incredibly fascinating. Um, and now everyone's going to be like, "Oh, what is it? You know, they're going to be messaging, messaging you, uh, wondering what it is. Uh,
2: but yeah, no- I really, I really haven't thought thought much about it until we started speaking so i was kind of digging through my the cobwebs in my (laughs) brain to recall to recall when i was really a big fan of what we're going to talk about at another time
0: (laughs) i'm very very excited to uh to do that but yes thank you ken and uh we will talk again soon
2: thanks so much pablo
0: thank you
1: From that side to glad, whenever you
0: Lemonade, my favorite track off the album. It's an amazing album. Uh, Beauty in the Backseat by Ken Sharp. Links below uh, to buy his music, and you really should. And also check out his books as well. And it it was an honor to help out with his uh, next book that's coming out, uh, which will chronicle Jellyfish and other bands of that ilk. Um, And yeah, it's kind of an amazing thing that, you know, the amount of time that I've really spent online making contacts, making friends. All through Jellyfish, really, you know, has led to being able to interview guys like Ken Sharp, Fernando Podomo, Chris Price, obviously the guys from Jellyfish, Imperial Drag, and um, and beyond, and 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 you know, I, I don't take it for granted, put it that way. So I do want to thank I do want to thank Ken very much. So yes, coming soon. Now this is for the wrestling fans out there, which uh, there may be some. Um, I, we, myself and Ken talked because he's originally from Philly and uh, he was a journalist and um, had a wrestling uh, fanzine. And we, t- we started talking about like Gorilla Monsoon and Superstar Billy Graham and stuff like that. And it was just blowing my mind at the amount of people that he's been in contact with. So we will be doing a part two and it will be as part of my other uh, podcast, Turnchuckle, which is all on the same page. All on iTunes, all that kind of stuff, uh, which is a wrestling podcast where I've interviewed names past and present in wrestling. I and mean, we were talking big names as well. And there's been a lot because I'm a huge, huge, huge old school wrestling fan. Um, so, yes, we will be doing that. And uh, I am Turnchuckle on instagram there's pablo's Pop podcast on facebook and turn chuckle on facebook as well and with the turn chuckle page in particular i post parts of my collection but it's with the intent to sort of drive you to the podcast but because i've been posting bits of my collection it's it's amazing the people that connect with you on instagram like i've really seen the power of the hashtag on instagram and just i think it's a better way to um post content that will appeal to more people and you don't have to talk about it at length as well people don't want to read stuff on instagram although i do just ramble on quite a bit uh, you know they want to see pictures of stuff and uh that leads me to my next guest who uh got in touch uh, jeremy burnett who's uh Irvin in woody allen's crisis in six scenes and um and he's also in the cbs show elementary which is like just mind-blowing And I'm a huge Woody Allen fan as well. So, like, he turns out we have things in common to do with wrestling. And what I did was, because he liked a couple of things, and it turns out he really loves the page, and I just sent him a message. That's the tip, kids. Um, and I'm sure Ken has done this one interviewing artists as well you've just got to reach out to people and you know hope for the best and create a good first impression hopefully I do that um, I, I don't think I've even sworn too much I've got to apologise to Ken if Ken is listening now I was a little drunk during the interview that may come across <laughs> during the interview I uh, a friend Regan who uh, I interviewed not too long ago he came round he brought a few, bo- few too many bottles of bud I've got to say and uh <laughs> I think I was quite jolly during the interview. Like, I I haven't listened to the interview back. I do these wraparounds before listening back to the interview. So, yeah, I know I I do sound jolly. There's probably a little bit of editing going on. But, yeah, Um, (laughs) it's a lot of fun. And I don't think Ken was too weirded out uh, by me being a bit too uh, forward and jolly and happy and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, um, if you are in Philadelphia between the 16th and 23rd of November, say hello. Because I, I'll be spending a lot of time with Andrew. We'll be doing the gig. Thanksgiving's happening in, you know, that week, which, um, you know, I'm sure lots of food will be happening, which is amazing. Uh, but, yeah, no, come and uh, hang out. I'll be there. I'll be in Philadelphia. And there's a chance I might be coming to New York as well. So we'll see. Um, and I'll be doing some of the, uh, you know, the alternative uh, tourist things like I did in LA. I didn't see any of the normal things. I just did the t- jellyfish pilgrimage. Um... So, yeah, come out and see me if you're around. And uh, the gig the the gig with Andrew will be streamed and it'll be a multi-camera thing as well so more information on that to come uh, if you would like to check that out. If you would like to support me you can check out toxicmelons.bandcamp.com uh, link below the show and you can buy my music. If you like Ken's stuff my stuff isn't a million miles away from it it's kind of power pop influenced by a lot of the same stuff and um, yeah I think I've probably pimped enough uh, stuff for you today so yeah um, thank you for for checking out the show uh do subscribe and feel free to leave a review if you thought i was good if you thought i was shit i don't mind it's only taken like 70 episodes like i'm, I'm slowly but surely getting there i didn't listen to like early episodes now because i know i sounded a lot more bunged up because i had sinus problems and also i was probably a little one-dimensional but now you can't shut me the hell up and that's probably it's probably a good thing for a podcast but probably not a good thing for your ears because you might have turned off by now so yeah <laughs> I should probably stop. Um, Thank you again. Uh, Do keep tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. And I will see you all next time. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.